This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Michelle Stansbury, Vice President of Innovation and IT Applications at Houston Methodist. Michelle, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thank you very much, Laura. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. And we appreciate you every time we're able to interview you for the podcast. It's, you know, always a great conversation. So um, I'm excited to dive in. But before we do, um, just for any of our listeners who are newer to the podcast, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background, especially this dual role that you have as Vice President of Innovation and IT Applications? Sure. Um, Well, again, Michelle Stansberry, you said my title. Um, I've been with Houston Methodist now 30 years. Um, It's been a very rewarding career, but about five years ago is when we kind of started on this digital innovation journey. Um, And I think, you know, what we decided after, you know, talking with several other healthcare organizations who had a Center for Innovation, that we wanted to set up something slightly different. And it has to do with these dual roles. So everyone that is involved with our Center for Innovation, including our Chief Innovation Officer, Um, has dual roles. So not only does our chief innovation officer have that role, which could be a full-time job, but she's also the CEO of our largest hospital within within Methodist Healthcare, Um, as well as myself as being VP, both innovation and IT applications. And the reason that we have done that is, number one, we know where our problems are within our organization. And when we search for solutions, for innovative solutions to help solve those problems. And once we pilot that solution, if it works well, we are able to quickly turn it around and implement it across our healthcare system within our eight different hospitals and soon to be nine hospitals. Um, And it has served us well in being very flexible, agile, and quickly be able to pivot when we need to um, for different areas that we're trying to focus in on. And so, I know we've been asked several times, are you ever going to change that? Because in the reality, we're all holding two full-time jobs. Um, And it's across, you know, about 26 different people within our Center for Innovation. And we said, no, we'll probably never change it because it has worked extremely well for us. That's fascinating to hear. And, you know, being having those two roles, two very important roles and potentially full-time roles, I can imagine it has to be uh, very organized in order to keep everything straight and rocking and rolling in the way that it has to be. Well, and that's, it's, uh, I will tell you the one thing that has helped tremendously overall within having these dual roles is, especially after we pilot um, different technologies. And this is where that we heard kind of the issues when we were talking with other or other organizations is when they had a separate innovation center, it wasn't that they weren't successful. They were. They were very successful at coming up with generating new ideas, new technologies, and even pilot some of those solutions. But when it came to operationalizing them, they couldn't get the structure and buy-in from operations to roll it out as quickly as needed because they were all very busy. They were busy working on other things. So whereas our chief innovation officer, she's going to turn around and she has operations. So she can quickly talk with her operational leaders on, you need to make sure this gets rolled out as quickly as possible. Me, putting on my IT hat with the IT resources that are now needed to make this happen, I'm turning right around and saying, okay, now what are the team members that I need to um, rearrange what maybe they're working on to help them roll this solution out quickly with the organization with their operational partners? And that's what I said has worked well. And 
it's the reason that most organizations will call us and ask how we've been able to quickly roll things out. That's it. That is the secret sauce. And probably, as I said, why we will never change it. That's a really great point and fascinating to hear about. Thank you so much for, for explaining that to <clears> us. Now, when you look at where we're at in healthcare today and uh, where we're headed, what are some of the big issues that you're following right now and, and what do you anticipate is going to be important for you in the new year? Sure. You know, I look, I think COVID really had a lot to do with all of healthcare as a whole. Not only did you know, all organizations put forth 150% really to do whatever we needed to do to take care of patients, but it had a lasting effect. And I think most healthcare organizations are feeling the lasting effect of the mass exodus out of healthcare that everybody's hearing about. And so what happened with us was really on nursing staffing, right? And being able to get nurses um, and, you know, employed and keep them. And it's just been a huge challenge. So, you know, I will tell you what um, the biggest issues that are things that we're working on now is we're calling it a care redesign process. And it's really how can we think differently on how we're providing care to our patients and still providing the quality care that we want to and always have. And so, you know, the old, I, I remember our, you know, I would, Dr. Roberta Schwartz, who of course is our chief innovation officer, and she's also, as I said, over the largest hospital. You know, the old ways that you would quickly think when you got into a, a you know, staffing crisis is, well, let's offer more money, let's offer, you know, um, bonuses, let's, you know, bring on float pool staff and whatever. But those things aren't working anymore because the nurses just aren't out there. So you have to be thinking differently about how it is that you can still continue to take care of patients like you needed to. So we came up with an overall kind of care redesign process and it, it really started with, I think there was one organization that we had heard that was doing virtual nursing. And of course we already had a virtual command center, one that we had set up you know, during COVID for our virtual ICU. Um, we'd been doing other virtual services out of this command center and so it lent itself very well for us to create another area for us to be able to do virtual nursing. And so think about admit and discharge processes that you know nurses typically have to do that they're being constantly interrupted while they're trying to do this. And so we set up a pilot unit and now I will tell you, it was not without its challenges in the beginning, you know, of nurses like, what do you do? What do you mean you're taking that away from me? And how can a virtual nurse be able to do all, you know, do these same functions? But what happened very quickly was patients were satisfied, nurses were happy um, because they weren't having to spend time and being interrupted back and forth. And what typically was taking like 45, 40 minutes was now being done within 10 to 15 minutes to be able to do the um, admit and discharge. So there's a piece, there's one part of that care redesign that now I've taken that piece off of the floor nurses and put it in this virtual command center where it was had great success. So now we're trying to roll that across our organization. The other thing that we're looking at um, doing is adding in ambient intelligence with, um, and so two different camera technologies within overall the patient rooms. One is to be able to utilize for um, ambient intelligence within kind of our very first use case is fall pre prevention. 
So it doesn't have a true camera like you would think of where you're seeing a person. It just sees the outline of the bed, sees the outline of the person. And so it, it can begin to detect whether a patient is getting up and they shouldn't. Um, it can be used for um, um, wound care, you know, if patients are being um, overall turned appropriately. You could even use it to see if, ta uh, you know, um, nursing is coming in and out appropriate like, like they should to and so forth. So that has high potential that if you stop and think about what are those things, those um, tasks that your unit nurses or, you know, unit secretaries or whatever are having to do that you could potentially use technology to do. So that's kind of one on the other on the care redesign. The, the other cameras will be used overall for virtual services. Right now we're utilizing another technology that was used within our virtual ICU with a different vendor, but um, once we put all of these different cameras up, then you should be able to do consults, virtual nursing. Um, think about all kind of other virtual type services that you may be able to do that you could not necessarily always have to walk into a patient room. And then the last thing that I would tell you um, we're really excited about is overall looking at utilizing biometric data with devices. And we found a company that has a device that's about the size of a silver dollar that um, we're going to very first pilot just doing um, vital signs. So instead of having um, someone having to go into the room for Q4 vitals, it can be done by this device. And it's, you know, so stop and think about then all of that potential. If you have this device, if it does well with, you know, overall vitals, what else can it do? You know, is this activity level? Is there any way that, you know, it could um, look at respiratory rates or anything else of potential of this data so you don't have to have um, individuals going in? So this is what I, I will tell you um, most excited about. I think the ambient intelligence as well of utilizing that functionality, not just for patients, but if you think about in other areas in your ORs, it's utilizing data that it is collecting based upon the activity in that room that tells you certain things either from patient care perspective or where you can increase efficiencies in your organization such as your ORs. It could be able to tell you, here's things that it's seeing that you potentially could decrease the time on so that you could turn your ORs over faster. So, you know, I think for us, if you would have asked me this probably six months ago, I don't know that I would have told you that's what our big focus would be for this year. But I think because of the big staffing challenge, that's the reason we had to really wrap our minds around how could we re, just refocus our efforts in changing the way that we care for our patients in the organization while still keeping everybody, providing the same quality of care, but it just overall increasing the efficiencies that, um, you know, would help with the staffing. That's a really great point and just so interesting to think about and, and hear how all this technology has developed and how the care redesign um, is really making a difference within the organization. And from your perspective, how have patients reacted to this? Have they been um, pretty, you know, accepting of some of these changes and being able to do the virtual nursing and, and some of the other monitoring in a different way than they have in the past? Or has there been some challenges and pushback? Well, if I will tell you the challenge and the pushback came in the very beginning, and there was a lot, and, um, and most of it came from nursing, 
and what, um, you know, it's, we had to overall kind of explain, you know, why we were doing this, what was the ultimate goal, what we were trying to accomplish. But I will tell you, it was in the very first few weeks, the ones who were most concerned absolutely loved it because they could see now the benefits, what were happening. So it overall took that burden off the nurses, uh, the floor nurses of having to do the admit and discharge process. The patients were extremely happy. We got very high satisfaction rates um, because they felt like they were getting very focused attention, even though it was virtual. Um, I think we're so used to as a society from maybe FaceTime or whatever it is, is that people are very used to this virtual world now. So they don't have this feeling of, oh my gosh, I don't have you standing right in front of me, so I don't have a real person. But um, they do, they now can see the face of overall the nurse, they actually have you know, dedicated time and are not being interrupted, which was happening before because other things were happening on the floor that the nurse was having to address. It might be right during the middle of when they were trying to do um, the discharge process. And, you know, I'll, I'll be, be right back. And it may be 30 minutes later before they could be right back. So um, we've had high patient satisfaction rates overall, and our nurses are extremely happy as well. That's great to hear. Now, you talked a lot about some of the exciting things that are going on at Houston Methodist. What makes you nervous? Well, you know, here's what I would tell you, and this was kind of lesson learned on our part as well. And the thing that makes me nervous right now is having the technology infrastructure. And when I talk about the infrastructure, if you're talking about the network, the Wi-Fi, you know, the um, the Wi-Fi coverage that's going on, because if you think about most of the devices that it, how they're being connected and um, needing the overall infrastructure support to manage this, all of these devices now that we're putting in the rooms. And one of the other things I didn't talk about is um, our engagement TV. So we're getting rid of whiteboards. We're, you know, we're getting rid of, we have iPads and Alexa devices in every room and we're getting rid of those. So everything's encompassed overall now with this engagement TV. It's, it's used overall for entertainment. It can be used for your clinical care to show you what your care plans are, who your care team is. You can get to your MyChart information. You can order food on it. You can you know, um, manage some of the environmental controls with overall within the room. But if you stop and think about all the technology that I just said, if you don't have the underlying infrastructure to support it, it won't work. And so this is one of the things that we had to learn. now. Laura, you've heard me talk about our smart hospital of the future. And yes, we've planned on all of this to go into our ninth hospital that we're building. And that's easy, because guess what? As you're building up that building, you can go ahead and build up the infrastructure that you need in that. But everyone else out there has older buildings like we do. And if you don't have that foundational infrastructure there to support it, you're not gonna be able to um, go ahead and include this new technology. So it's one of the things that I will tell you that we've had to quickly go and revert back and say, okay, which one of our rooms, what, what do they support now and what do we need to upgrade quickly in order to put this new technology in place? So, you know, that is my kind of greatest concern is I need to get this technology in quickly to be able to help with overall the staffing challenges. But I'm working very, very closely with my counterpart, who's over the um, vice president IT over infrastructure, to help get this um, foundational support upgraded as quickly as possible to be able to support these initiatives. And I don't think it is something that most people think about. 
Um, but I will tell you this, you know, talking about the whole Southwest debacle that just happened over here. And, you know, if you under overall heard, I mean, a lot of that happened to be because the technology foundation wasn't where it needed to be. And so I think that's probably, you know, my, I don't know that I would say it, it makes me nervous, but it, you know, it is going to be a challenge. I'm going to have to have a whole lot of support from my counterpart over here on the infrastructure side to be able to keep up with me as I'm trying to implement these new innovative solutions. Definitely. That really sounds like such a fine line you have to walk in terms of having the innovation, being able to see the vision in front of you and uh, getting the team to buy in and understanding why this is important. But then, you know, having to hit pause if necessary to make sure you've got that infrastructure in place and, and really, you know, work in tandem to to keep make sure that, you know, like you said, um, everything is keeping up and so that you don't have these issues. In creating that relationship and developing that relationship on the IT side, is there anything you've been able to successfully do in order to, you know, make sure that um, you're both kind of working in the the same way and, um, you know, bringing the projects forward in a timely fashion as much as possible? Sure. And this is, you know, while I will tell you, we have a dedicated, you know, um, individuals who kind of report up through the Center for Innovation and read on a regular basis, you know, we're, innovation is ingrained overall within our DNA at Houston Methodist and everyone understands innovation is their responsibility. But if, you know, I, I would say for me, if I'm not engaging the right individuals to make sure that they are engaged in, a, in an initiative that we need to, then that's, that's a big problem for me. And so one of the things that has been so instrumental and in everyone understanding how innovation is important overall to our organization is that I, all I needed to do was reach to my counterpart, right, who's the VP of infrastructure, Jim Francis. And you know, Jim's engaged. He is now engaged in everything. And we've gone out and done several assessments overall with different buildings within overall our hospital system to determine, okay, what's lacking in this area? What is, how much Wi-Fi coverage do we have over here? Is there, do we have an appropriate network switches over here? Do we even have the right TVs? I, that was, that was another eye-opening for us as we were going through with this one latest technology. Who would have known that we didn't have the right TVs? that the company had worked really great with another vendor and it was all working well, but not with the TVs that we had. So, you know, this is, you know, where I say that it, you have to take into consideration everything that you're doing when you're trying to bring on new technology because there's no more single solution. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And it's, that's the reason you've got to have all teams somewhat involved because the other big piece of this too, Laura, is that everything that we do, we have to make sure that it's secure because we don't want any, any kind of data security issues either. And so stop and think about everyone that we're getting involved overall in this innovation journey that we're working through, only from you know looking at potential new solutions, then bringing in operations, then bringing in IT, bringing in the infrastructure side, bringing in data security, you know, it is everyone has to sign off and agree that it's going to work within this organization, and we have to do it very quickly. So um, I, I'm just, you know, it works well for us, um, and I'm very uh, appreciative that everyone is willing to jump in and sit at the table when it's needed. 
um, in order for us to work through this process. But if we didn't have it, I would tell you it would be a nightmare to try to get through anything within the organization, but it's not that way. That's great to hear. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask you about leadership. What do you think the most effective healthcare leaders will need to be successful over the next two to three years or so? You know, what I would tell you, and at least this is what I have learned, is that I think you have to be agile in your thinking. Have a plan. But, you know, you may have to quickly pivot on that plan depending upon what is occurring. As I said, who would have known COVID was, was you know, who knew a pandemic was going to come and hit, you know, all of us. And so we had to pivot quickly. You know, what was the new things that had to change? How, how did you go into virtual services? How did you, how were you able to take care of patients? I think now it's overall with the staffing and it's not just a Houston Methodist problem. It is a problem with all healthcare organizations these days with staffing. So while I think you have a plan and everyone needs to have, you know, solid plans in place, what I think that leaders need to really understand is that you have to be agile enough and be able to quickly pivot whenever it's needed for the organization, whenever you have to change very, very quick. Um, and that's what's been very beneficial for Houston Methodist is that um, we have some great leaders in the organization who know how to do that and do it well and um, are very good at collaborating with each other in order to solve something as quickly as we can. But then we will still maintain. There's always the normal things that need to happen, right? There's always the normal upgrades. There's, you know, new technology that's not maybe innovative, but you're, you're, you're moving down that path. But I would just say for leaders, you know, kind of thinking overall in the future, how do they be successful, especially in this innovation space, is don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to reach out to other industries, you know, to kind of learn how they're doing, but be able to pivot quickly whenever you need to. That's fantastic. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fun discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Me too. Thank you very much, Laurie. I always appreciate talking with you.